0: What a great uh, way to start uh, this morning thinking through these ideas through song and and, uh, building this theme of of beloved. I don't know that uh, maybe one of the best things that we can do when you're trying to uh, build in the minds of people the idea that we are God's beloved is to have a time of baptism uh, where you see the joy of people's faces discovering this idea uh, that God loves me, that God wants me and has invited me into his family, that God has meaning and purpose for my life. And so uh, it's just such an incredible morning uh, to think through all this. And so uh, this has been our, our, what we began last week is this this idea of thinking through Uh, who you are as you come into faith in Christ. What does God say about you? And understanding that, because in many ways, what it does is the understanding of who you are, uh, as God says it does, it shapes your identity. It shapes the way that you uh, see yourself. And, uh, you know, uh, one of the, the, maybe the deepest uh, philosophical moments uh, for mankind happened in in 1975 in, in terms of identity, uh, three questions were asked, and they were asked in the movie Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Now, I don't know if you saw this movie or not. Uh, it was like this uh, kind of, it's kind of like a cult classic kind of movie. Uh, but in this tale, uh, the, uh, King Arthur and his men are, are working their way to find the Holy Grail, and there's all kinds of things that happen along the way. Uh, but there comes this one moment where uh, Arthur and his men come to what's called the Bridge of Death. And at the bridge of death, they are asked three questions. And these questions really are quite profound if you think about it. Uh, the, the bridge master looks at the first knight as he comes. Uh, now you have to answer these questions correctly, or you're kind of thrown into this abyss. And so they're kind of terrified at first, and one of the knights runs it, and the bridge master asks the first question: What is your name? And he says, Lancelot of Camelot, what is your quest? I seek the Holy Grail. What is your favorite color? Blue. Okay, you can pass. And he kind of goes on, and this whole little thing develops. But if you actually think about these questions, they're actually quite profound. Uh, Think about this. Imagine you come to the bridge master and, and you and and you are asked this question: What is your name? Who are you? What is your quest? What is your purpose in life? What are you after? What gets you up in the morning? What, what are you chasing after? What's your favorite color? What makes you you? What makes you uniquely you? What is it about you that maybe isn't the same for someone else? It's kind of comical on the one hand, but it is quite profound if you think about it, isn't it? That these are questions you and I are all wrestling with in the shaping of who we are. Uh, it was fascinating. Last week, we began this, this uh, series thinking about identity. And I think a lot of us, when we think about the, the concept of identity, we think of uh, young people. We think about teenagers. We think maybe young adults. Uh, but we, we think, you know, we kind of outgrow this identity formation. After last week, I, I had more comments from people my age and higher who said, wow, I really needed to hear that. And there's something to this. It's not as if we really master the sense of identity, do we? In fact, in the story that we're going to see today, we're going to see that there's this moment in the history of God's people where where there's a king who really struggles with identity. And there's a need of a new king and a choosing of a new king. And as God chooses this new king, he chooses this new king because of something very different that he sees in him. And so this morning, I want us to think about this, thinking about what it means. Uh, last week, we saw the idea that, that as God's beloved, you are adopted. God sees you. When Jesus came out of the waters of baptism, uh, God says, you hear the Father's voice, the Spirit descends, and, and God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And we say, great, we expect that about Jesus, but what does that have to do with us? And we saw the idea that when you come to Christ from faith in Christ, that you are adopted into God's family, that you become a child. And as a child, God says to you, any debts you owe, I'll take care of them. Anything, anything, any liability on you, it's now my problem. And I want you to have all my kingdom. Whatever I have is yours. My kingdom is yours. And from this point on, I want you to be able to call me daddy. Daddy. It's this profound thing that we see that God is saying to us, I want this relationship. I want to give you everything. I want you to know that you are mine and I am yours. And the more our hearts resonate with this idea, the more free we become. Well, today I want you to see something. I want to add something to this and, and it's the idea that you are chosen. And, and so on one hand, we see this idea that when, when you come to faith in Christ, you come because God God is calling you to himself. He wants you to be in his family. And on the one hand, we see this, we may think of this kind of worldwide, people-wide, but have you ever stopped to think that of seven billion people, God stops and speaks to your heart and says to your heart, come with me, follow me. Give me your life. Trust me with it. I promise you, I will give you purpose. I will give you meaning. I will give you the life that you've always dreamed of, that I've always dreamed of for you. And so there's something about this, but even beyond this idea of being chosen and God calling us to salvation is the idea that there are times in our life where God comes and he whispers to us, I pick you. I pick you for this. I have, I have something that needs to happen, and I want you to do it. And there's this kind of profound uh, mystery in in the ways that God, when we're open to his voice and and open to intimacy with him in our our life, we see ourselves as the beloved of God that that he comes to us and says, I would love to use you for this. And so this morning, let me give you a big idea of what we're going to talk about. I want you to see yourself not only as God's beloved child, but as his beloved child The challenge today you're going to see is to serve him with all your heart, to serve him with all your heart. and So this morning, I want us to think about this. Uh, I want you to see that when you hear God call to you to come to him and to follow him, to surrender your life to him, uh, that he wants to give you life. He wants to fill you with life, filled with his presence and his power. And so uh, this this story we're going to look at today is this incredible moment in the history of God's people. And so can I invite you to turn to 1 Samuel 16 if you have a Bible with you or on your Bible app on your phone or whatever it is that you might have. If you need a Bible, there's actually Bibles in front of you. It's going to be page 283, 283. And so what we're looking at today is the story of God calling uh, this new king. And so uh, for years, uh, Israel had a king, but the king they had was the Lord himself. Uh, the Lord wanted to be their king. He chose them, he built them as a nation, and he said, I am your king. And they came to him and in essence kind of rejected him, saying, "We we want a human king. Like all the other nations, we want a human king we can look at and we can turn to and he'll fight for us. And God says, I'll fight for you. And they say, no, 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 we need a human king. And so even though God did not want this for them, he relented, he gave them a king, and this was not a great thing. Saul was the, the king that they chose. Saul, uh, he, he, he was the, the, the one that played the part. He looked the part. He was big. He was handsome. He was strong. He was a great fighter. All these kind of things, he looked and felt like a great king. But Saul was tormented by something. He was tormented by the voices of other people. He cared so much about the voices of other people that he continued to make mistake after mistake after mistake. In fact, at the very end of his career, uh, we see uh, where it really unravels. He makes a decision that he shouldn't have made. He does something he shouldn't have done. And when he tries to explain it away, the way he says it is that he felt this pressure from the people and he gave into their voice. if there's anything that speaks of insecurity, of of an insecure life, of a a lack of identity, is to say, I make my choices because I give in to what people want, to what people say. This was not a teenager. This was a a grown man, a king, who says, I gave in to what everyone said. And so God says, it's time. It's time for us to find a new king. And so he goes to his priest Samuel. He says, go to the house of Jesse. We're gonna anoint a new king. Stop mourning over Saul. It's time for the nation to move on. And, and Samuel says, if I go and Saul hears about this, he'll, he'll kill me. He says, look, take a sacrifice. Go uh, meet with the, his house. And so he does that. He comes to the house of Jesse, uh, expecting to find in one of his sons the, the new king. And so they, they're consecrated. They're prepared. We don't know exactly what they do, but they're all prepared for this moment. And so when the the story begins, as we see this, uh, Samuel's there, they're in this this home, and and these sons are are in essence presented before him. And we pick up uh, with him meeting the first son. It says that when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called in Abinanab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. And so he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. And so he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. So in this story, we see the calling of David uh, as the new king. Now, it's a fascinating story because David is considered the, this great king, this maybe the greatest king ever for Israel. He is the pinnacle of kings in their history and looking at. But when you look at this story, it is kind of fascinating that there's kind of this subtle thing going on. Uh, David is kind of this forgotten son, isn't he? I mean, when you think of the stories of David, if you hear the stories of David, if you know any kind of biblical story, you probably know the story of David and Goliath or you hear something. But the name David sounds of this kind of prominent leader that God had. But when you start at the very beginning, you realize that David is this forgotten, forsaken son that is not even invited uh, to the party. And so I want to give you a first point to see because there's something kind of fascinating as we watch this story uh, take place. And there's something very important for us to see, maybe from our past as well, that no matter how unnoticed you feel by others, that God delights in you. No matter how unnoticed you feel by others, God delights in you. Uh, David had spent his early days, we see, tending the sheep. And that uh, when you begin to think of this, there's, he's, he's living this life of solitude, a monotony. It's kind of just this ordinary kind of life. He's unnoticed. He's unappreciated. No one expects even, I don't know if you, know, like, if you notice this, but notice the, even the, the idea of the way his dad saw him. His dad doesn't think he's uh, important enough to invite. In fact, when Samuel asked the question, do you have any other sons, he he doesn't even call David by name. He describes him as the youngest. In fact, that term youngest doesn't just uh, refer to the idea of age, but the idea that he's kind of the least of, of what you'd be looking for. David was the, in his family's eyes, the runt of the litter. And so here he is. He's not even invited to this opportunity. Seven brothers are paraded in front of, of uh, Samuel. And he gets to the end. He realizes that, that, no one, that the, the one that God wants isn't here. And uh, Jesse's dad doesn't even have the mindset to invite David to this. There's no thought that David has a possibility. He's not even mentioned by name. And so we see this kind of interesting thing that's happening. As you continue to watch the story of David, it's also interesting because you start to see the fact that his brothers don't seem to like him. Uh, that his, in the next chapter, you see the way that uh, his firstborn brother uh, uh, acts uh, very critically of him. Uh, that, that everyone and, uh, uh, seems to have this kind of negative opinion of David all along the way. Everyone it is except God. He's completely unnoticed. He's completely unappreciated by everyone except God. And so we see this powerful thing. And I, I want you to see this, that, that in some ways for, that what we see in David is that no matter how unnoticed you are, no matter how unloved you might feel from your past, from your upbringing, that we see in this story, God notices you. God notices you. I've been thinking about this unique way. Um, One of the things that has really struck me and and, uh, one of the things why I think God is uh, leading us through this time is because you and I let the voices of other people really shape our identity, don't we? We let people say things to us that hurt us and we live out of fear of trying to live up to those things. Maybe even it's the silence. Maybe it's the fact that just no one seemed to notice us, seemed to care for us, seemed to draw us or believed great things in us. And so we, we hold on to all these false selves and we are held prisoner by them. I remember uh, when I started here as a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor about 10 years and uh, I got a call from Biola University, a great Christian college down the street, and they invited me to come teach youth ministry there. And I remember thinking to myself, man, why did they pick me? Like, who am I to be able to, to teach this? It was an incredible privilege. And I loved it. And so uh, as the years were passing by and, and I was doing it, I would get to know these, these. Most of them were like interns in churches. They were kind of growing up. And so I'd be at some kind of youth ministry event. And I would, I would see uh, one of the students, uh, either present or, or former student. And they'd say, oh, I want you to meet my youth pastor. And they'd take me to their boss. And immediately it'd be this sizing up thing going on. And so uh, the, the person would come to me and introduce themselves and they started asking me questions. And it would always come down to this question. So how many kids are in your youth group, Bill? They always wanted to know. And, and I started to realize it because really there was almost really this feeling of if I have more kids in my youth group, I'm probably more qualified than you are to teach this class. Now, this created a, a incredible uh, uh, fear and tension and insecurity in my heart. I wish I could say I had kind of mastered identity by then, but there was no way. And so I had these, this sense, these feelings in my heart of, yeah, Lord, why don't I have a bigger group? What's wrong with me? Why can't I be at the big churches and the big youth groups and all those kinds of things? And that, that moment had kind of reached a pinnacle for me. And uh, uh, in the same week, I got two calls, one from a church that had 4,000 people in it, one from a church with 5,000 people in it. I said, we've heard about you. We want you to interview. We think you'd be great for our youth ministry. I thought, finally, my day has come. My name will be great like all the others. I interviewed, and it became really apparent real quickly that I was a terrible fit. I, this was not what I dreamed of doing with my life. This was not uh, uh, what I was gifted at. It was not the kind of pastoring that I felt comfortable doing. And so I said no to both those uh, opportunities, and it's one of those moments where you you wonder if God smirks um, when you have a still when you hear the still small voice of God in your heart. It was about probably a little bit after that where I just kind of reflecting on the whole experience could could sense God's voice in my life saying this. Do you trust me now? Do you think I know what I'm doing? When we see these moments, when we hear these voices, sometimes you and I, we we are so turned, we are so uh, uh, focused on trying to live up to prove ourselves maybe in some way by things people have said or things that they didn't say, by the way we were treated or or the ways that we were neglected. But I want you to see in this story one of the things that's so powerful in this is no matter how unnoticed you feel, no matter how unloved you might have felt from your past, God does see you, God does notice you. But notice the thing that that he really notices in David. What God is most concerned with is your heart. What he's most concerned with is your heart. I I don't know about you, but when I was reading through this story, one of the things that was probably the scariest to me was uh, in the very first verses. And we see that the very priest of God misses it entirely. That he sees the firstborn Eliab come in and he goes, there you go. That's a king right there. And notice what he sees. He sees this kind of, this height, this this stature, this kind of, you know, obviously he was, what we see in the next chapter, he's a good fighter. All these external qualities. And if Samuel can get it wrong, who's to say that you and I can't get it wrong? You and I, aren't we? All of us, we are so fixated on the external things. We are so fixated on these things on the outside. But notice what it is that God sees. He sees the heart Now, I don't know if you you saw this too, but at the end of the passage, you see this, that the passage actually describes the fact that David actually has some external qualities. He's handsome too. He's got kind of this glowing feature. He's probably got pretty pretty sick tan from being out in the fields all the time, whatever it is. uh, But it says that there's some ways that when he saw David, he's realized, oh, there's more to David than I thought. But what God sees in David, we see in the very beginning is he sees past the external things. He sees his heart. What mattered most was his heart. You and I are, are, are so easily intoxicated by the externals. We see the things on the outside and we move towards those things. Good looks, athleticism, uh, a, a strong drive. All those, None of these things are bad things in and of themselves, but we see that those things apart from a heart that belongs to God, uh, that there's something missing. And so when we look at this, uh, we see this, uh, this idea. You kind of wonder, where in the world did David develop this? How in the world did David have something in him that God could see in him? What, what was it about his heart that God saw? And what we realize is that it was the time out in the fields where he would spend all this kind of countless hours just kind of being with God. In, the, in doing that, that role, that something changed in him. We see this in the next chapter when he comes to fight this fight with, with Goliath. As he comes in, he's, here he is, this young guy, and the, the question's asked, what makes you think you can fight and beat Goliath? And David talks about his experience as a shepherd. He says, when I was a shepherd, uh, the, uh, uh, these animals, the, the lion would come, the bear would come, and they would take a sheep, and I would go and I would fight a lion. I'd fight the bear. But David doesn't pump himself up. He doesn't say about himself and and, uh, my character or my my uh, 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 ability, he doesn't say, I was able to do this. I'm the great fighter. I'm the one that you can do. I can fight anything and win anything. What David says is the Lord who delivered me from the lion, from the bear, the Lord is the one who will deliver me from the the giant. You see in his heart, he has learned to trust the Lord. The external things aren't bad things in and of themselves. But what we see ultimately is the fact that all those external measurements really have impact when they belong to a heart that belongs to God. Do you have influence? Do you have power? I mean, in and of itself, there's something to that. But if you use that influence, that power to manipulate, to coerce, to, to get your way, I don't know that God is really impressed. Instead, the scriptures talk about for us to see the needs of others, to use our influence for the sake of others, to consider others better than ourselves. Do you have money? Do you have wealth? Well, that's an external measurement that might be impressive to some people. I don't know that God's really impressed if you're not thankful, if you're not generous with those things. On and on we can go about external qualities in and of themselves, but apart from them being connected to a heart that belongs to God, there's something missing. And so I want you to see uh, one final thing in this passage I think is really important. As we see him choosing, he sees in in David this heart, this heart that just trusts him. And he says to him, this is is gonna be my king. And so uh, here's the final thing I want you to see. If God has chosen you, serve him with all your heart. Serve him with all your heart. Now, one of the things that's so fascinating in this is uh, we see the way that... Think about what this must have been like for David. So David is minding his own business. He's out there on the so like, any he, he just thinks that's a, kind of a normal day. He's called in. He comes in. Here's this old guy. He takes a this jar of oil. He pours it over his head. Now... I best scholars can can come up with is uh, it it seems as if uh, Saul didn't really know that anyone didn't really know what was happening on everyone in the house they knew something was happening they didn't quite know what was happening in part it seems that God is still trying to hide this from Saul in in an effort to protect David but the uh, historian Josephus says this he says that uh, what had happened in this moment was this is that Samuel came he poured the oil on David and he whispered in his ear This means that one day you will be God's king. Now, think about this. If the priest shows up, he pours the oil over you and whispers in your ear that you're going to be the next king, what do you do with that? What do you do with that knowledge, that privilege? Maybe tell someone, post something, use it against your siblings. I get the last of whatever. I'm going to be king, you know, right? I don't know if you know what David did. It's really quite fascinating. So here's what happens. He he anoints David to be the next king. And then the story, the next story tells us this. As you read on, what you see is this, is that Saul, as king, was very tormented by the things going on in his life. And so one of his assistants says to, to Saul, hey, there's this young man. He is quite the musician. We should have him come play uh, uh, for you. It'll calm you. His name is David. He's one of the sons of Jesse. And so we see this. If you look down at verse 19, it says this, that Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David, who is, and you might want to even underline these three words, with the sheep. Think about the heart of David and how it's, it's shown here. David had a heart of humility, and service, that when he was named king, he treasured that, but he, when it came time to serve his family, he went back into the fields and served. He was, when they came and, and wanted him, where was he? He was with the sheep. He was back tending sheep. He was humble through this, and he was willing to do whatever uh, it takes. A colleague of mine said this. He said uh, uh, this idea, and I love these words. He said, uh, yes is already on the lips of those who know they are the beloved. They're already ready to say yes to whatever God has because they know they are the beloved of God. And David, you see this in these, in these uh, next chapters. Tend the sheep, I'll do it. Go serve the king, I'll do it. He comes and he plays music for the, the king he's going to replace. He offers himself fully to him. He becomes this trusted person that Saul uh, uh, comes to uh, really value you see this heart in David this way? They go to battle and he's going back and forth between his home and the, and the line. His dad says, Take food, take cheese, take the cheese. I'll do it. Tend the sheep, serve the king, bring the cheese, fight the giant. What do you want me to do? I'm all in. I'll do it. This is who David was. David had this heart. God had spoken into him and said, You're my beloved. You, uh, th- in fact, the name David means beloved of God. David knew, uh, he lived his namesake, he knew that God had chosen him, he was at peace with it, and he was just willing to serve. And so one of the things that you begin to see in this, that's so interesting, is Saul is actually the opposite. Saul begins to see David's popularity grow as David is is victorious in different things, and every time he sees something good happen with David, he feels threatened in his identity and wants to take David out if you are insecure, if you let your identity be formed by the way other people see yourself or others, it will ultimately lead to your destruction. And so in this, we begin to see this incredibly. Listen to these two descriptions of David. Second Samuel chapter 8. It says this about David, this, this one who serves. It says, David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. What did David do? He served the people. He did what was right for them. He did what was just for them. David said, on my watch, God's kingdom is going forward. At the end of his life, in fact, we're told uh, uh, one of the first sermons in the, in the early church, they're telling the story of God. And when it comes to the part of David, uh, they say this about David in Acts uh 13, verse 36, it says, David had served God's purpose in his own generation. I mean, of all the things that could be said about you at the end of your life, would it be enough for you to have those words said about you? That you served God's purpose in your generation. During your time on this earth, you were willing to do what God asked you to do. You would serve him faithfully. You would honor him. You you would just humbly serve. You serve him with all your heart. If that was what was said for you at the end of your life, all the other stats, all the other impressive things were let go, but the one thing that was said about you was this that you served God's purposes in your generation. Could that be enough for you? And so I want to ask you this morning are you ready? Are you ready to be chosen? Are you ready to be chosen? Are you ready for God to come and pour his oil on you and whisper in your ear, hey, I need you? Uh, here's what I, I, I think is so fascinating. David, again, think about it. David got up that morning. He thought it was going to be like every other day. He was absolutely shocked by what happened at the end of the day. He thought he was going to take care of sheep. By the end of the day, he was going to be the future king. That's not how he saw that day going. And many people who serve the Lord will say this, I didn't see his call coming. It was surprising. It was unexpected. But what we see over and over again is simply this command, be ready, be ready. You don't know when the Lord's going to move next. Are you ready to hear his call? Are you ready to, to, for him to choose you for something? One of the things that we say here at Beach Point is uh, that you have this, this relational world in your life. We call it uh, the 8 to 15. Uh, but what we mean is this, is that any time in your life, if you kind of uh, look up and look around, you will see there's, there in different seasons, there's somewhere around 8 to 15 people in your life that if you really thought about it, really prayed about it, it seems as if God has strategically, supernaturally put these people in your life. In, in the baptism, you saw that with uh, our story, Kim and I's story with the, the hoods. Uh, what a fascinating thing. In our situation, we have to drive to Liso Viejo to put our daughter in a special school for a season to get some testing done. We meet a family. We connect. And we realize we have some similar needs. And for the opportunity of my wife to, to, and Cheryl to homeschool these girls, that took a lot. That was a lot. There was a lot expected of them. But this was something that we sensed, they sensed, that God was inviting us to do. And so people will look back and say, uh, you know, wow, it must have been uh, hard. It's a lot of work to do. It wasn't. It wasn't sacrifice. It was work, but it wasn't sacrifice. that brought us joy because we were doing what the, we knew the Lord wanted us to do. And then you see in moments like this, when you think, and I look at our friendship that we've developed over this time, I say, man, I'm so thankful that, that we said yes to that. Are you ready to say yes to whatever it is the Lord invites you to in your little world? Are you ready to be chosen? When God says to you, I need you there, are you ready to say, I'll serve you with all my heart? And so uh, to prepare you for that, uh, you know, in in these last moments of the, the service, we're going to uh, we're going to pray and we're going to sing a song that really is a prayer of giving our heart to God, of being willing to be His, to be willing to be used, for giving Him permission to speak to us and call us and choose us for whatever He, he wants so that at the end of our life, what people can say about us is that person was faithful to serve God and His purposes in their generation. But if we're going to do that, one of the things that really impressed me in this story was this. I can't imagine that David is the only one who has experienced this kind of pain. Of things said, of ways that he was treated. And and in some ways, I think it's it's valuable. It's important for us to, to acknowledge that sometimes there are things that are said to us. Even as I shared my story, we sometimes don't even see the unique way that it's like your car, almost like your car being misaligned, that we're we're veering one way because we feel the tug of a voice in our life or the lack of a voice in our life. On Monday, we we went down to uh, uh, my father-in-law's house. He has a boat at Canyon Lake. We put the boat in the water. We skied. Uh, At the very end of the summer is the worst part of the whole thing because uh, the boat being in the water all through the summer develops all this kind of gunk on the bottom. And so we got to get it clean and we got to scrub and we got to get all this nastiness off the bottom of the boat. In fact, we actually have a family in our church. They do this professionally, like with real boats in the ocean. They they scrape barnacles and all this stuff that gets trapped on the bottom of boats and it kind of takes away their ability to to really uh, uh, cruise right and so I want to invite us to do this. I, I want to invite you. There, there comes times in our lives where we've got to scrape off the gunk. And this morning, just in these, this last song, and this last moment, I just want to encourage you to, to open your heart to, to the Lord. If there has been a voice in your life, there are things that have been said. There's been painful things. There's been neglect. Where you feel like uh, no one saw you or no one, no one cared and you've been holding on to that, I want to invite you to, to offer that to God and say, here's my heart. I need your help. I want, I want you to uh, restore it, to cleanse it, to, to move me to who you are. But listen in the, in the song. There's such beautiful words about identity as well, that not only are we scraping away those things, but we're protecting it for the, for the days to come with the things that are true and right about who you really are. And so would you bow with me as we pray? And if it's your desire this morning to give God your heart as we sing the songs, just simply tell them that. As you saw the testimony of uh, these kids, of Brian and Eli, uh, of Shar and Alana, of Whitney and Rebecca. All throughout this day, people have been given testimony that they're willing to follow Jesus to trust Him with their lives. If that's your desire this morning, as we sing, just say those very words to to Him. Lord, I believe. And I'll follow you with your help. And where there needs to be healing, where there needs to be cleansing, ask Him, Lord, help me. I give you these things that were said about me. I don't know how I'm moving past these things. Give me your help. Give me your strength. Lord, we just give you this moment. We offer it to you and ask that you uh, free uh, us from past things said, past things done, past things that maybe shaped the way that we could see ourselves. But we're thankful that we see in David that when no one else noticed, you did. All eyes were fixed on Saul and what he was doing. But out in that field, uh, there was a, a young man, unnoticed, Nobody seems to care, not even his family, but you did. And so may that give us encouragement today. And so, Lord, we begin to give these things over to you. Let's take a moment just quietly uh, begin to hand over things you want to hand over to the Lord.